Hi, my name is Isla Watson, and I am your true crime consultant, ready to talk to you about true crime. Hello, 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 everyone. Welcome, and thank you for being here today. My name is Isla, and I am your true crime consultant, back with a brand new case. I really appreciate your support, and it makes me so happy to slowly see the podcast grow, so thank you. Today, I have a very interesting case to discuss with you. The case that I will be discussing with you today is the 1986 disappearance and murder of a Danish flight attendant named Hella Crafts. The last people that saw her were her friends from work that dropped her off at her home in Connecticut after a long flight from Germany. She was never seen or heard from again. This case is particularly interesting for three reasons. The first reason is that it was the first case ever discussed on Forensic Files. Forensic Files is an American documentary television program that reveals how forensic science is used to solve violent crimes, mysterious accidents, and outbreaks of illnesses. Episode 1 of the popular true crime show came out in 1996. Back then it was called Medical Detectives. This is the story of how forensic science solved the puzzle. I first met Hella Crafts in uh, the fall of 1986. Uh, she came in to see me and was discussing the possibility of a divorce uh, from her husband. And during this episode, they discussed the ins and outs of every aspect surrounding the murder of Hella Crafts. So if you want, you can go check that out on YouTube. By all accounts, 39-year-old Hella Crafts was a caring mother of three young children in an unhappy marriage. The second reason is that the award-winning 1996 movie Fargo was inspired by this very case. The special edition DVD of Fargo contains a statement that the film was inspired by the Crafts case, particularly the very end of the film where a character is killed and their body is put in a wood chipper. Spoiler alert. And the third reason this case is especially interesting is that it was the first murder conviction in the state of Connecticut without the victim's body being found. Now, if you remember, when I discussed the disappearance of Natalie Holloway in episode 3, I also discussed the idea of no body, no crime, and how enough circumstantial evidence can lead to a conviction even without a body having been found. In Natalie's case, unfortunately, there is not enough circumstantial evidence for any kind of conviction, but in Hella Kraft's case, there was. So, let's get into it. Hella Crafts was born Hella Lork Nielsen in Charlottenland, Denmark, on July 7, 1947. When Hella met her husband, Richard Crafts, she was a flight attendant for Pan American and he was a pilot for Eastern Airlines. The couple got married in 1979 and settled down in Newton, Connecticut. Hella continued working as a flight attendant while also focusing on raising their three children. But sadly for Hella, their marriage was not as perfect as it may have seen from the outside. You see, in 1986, Hella began to suspect that her husband Richard was cheating on her. She even confronted him about suspicious long-distance phone calls to an unknown number, which Richard of course denied. This confrontation angered Richard and did not do much good. 
After this, she met with a divorce attorney and even hired a private investigator. Hella approached P.I. Keith Mayo to follow her husband and find out whether he was or was not having an affair. And if he was, which Hella was convinced he was, Keith Mayo was to take photos as evidence of Richard's infidelities. I'm assuming for two reasons. One, it would confirm Hella's suspicions to be true, and two, it would work as good ammunition for the divorce. So, as any good private investigator, Keith got to work, and it did not take long for him to snap some pictures of Richard kissing a flight attendant who was not his wife on the lips outside of her New Jersey residence. Sometime in the fall of 1986, Keith Mayo showed Hella these photos of her cheating husband, and she was visibly upset. I guess even though she had known for some time that Richard was cheating, finally being confronted with evidence made it very real, and this devastated her. I mean, her husband, the father of her children, was cheating on her, and she had the proof in her hands. Hella had had enough. All the lies, the affairs, the mysterious phone calls, and even the unusual spending of their money. Hella had decided she no longer wanted to be married to Richard, and rightfully so. Now that she had a strong case against her husband, I mean, she had the proof of his cheating, she was ready to officially file for divorce. It is suspected that she confronted Richard with this news on the night of November 18, 1986. On November 18, 1986, after working on a long flight from Frankfurt, West Germany, friends and fellow flight attendants dropped Hella off at the new town home she shared with Richard and her three children. It was the last time anybody saw her alive. The next morning, Richard woke up his kids and their live-in nanny extremely early. A snowstorm had hit the area that night, and he wanted everyone out of the house as the power had gone out. So Richard, being the caring man he was, drove his kids and the nanny to his sister's house in Westport, Connecticut. But Hella was not in the car with them. Naturally, the kids wondered where their mom was, and when asked about her, Richard simply told them that she would meet them later. But Hella never showed up, and her car would eventually be found in an airport parking lot. After dropping everyone off, Richard went back to the house, maybe to see if he could get the power back on, maybe to make sure that the house was not damaged by the snow, or maybe to take care of something much more sinister. After a few days of not hearing from Hella, her friends and even her private investigator, Keith Mayo, started to worry. Hella was not someone who'd just go away without letting people know, and she would never leave her kids behind. There was also another reason why her friends and Keith were worried. In the weeks leading up to her disappearance, Hella had confided to her friends and divorce attorney and even to her private investigator that she was afraid of Richard. She kept them vigilant of the situation and even told several people, if something happens to me, do not assume it was an accident. Yikes, that is, that is very creepy. She was so afraid of her own husband that she started warning people. In a sense, it's as though she saw something bad coming. At least that's how afraid she was of him. Her friends knew that Richard could be abusive and that he had a volatile temper. They thought the fact Hella would stand firm on the divorce this time could lead Richard to do something drastic. Yet Richard kept saying that he had not seen her. Over the next few weeks, Richard's story on his wife's whereabouts and situation kept changing depending on who was asking. He would tell one of her friends that Hella had gone to see her sick mother in Denmark, 
then tell another that she was visiting the Canary Islands. He had also told her work friends that she was on another flight, but they were immediately suspicious due to the regulations that prevented her from flying again so soon after her long flight from Europe without having enough rest days. But to the police, he claimed he had no idea where she was. Now, her P.I. Keith was loyal to her, and after spending quite some time with her, he had gotten to know Hella and had come to like her quite a bit. She was a kind woman and a devoted mother, and he had seen her at her most vulnerable. I mean, after he showed her the pictures of her cheating husband, Hella practically broke down in front of him. She trusted Keith, and she had told him all about her life with Richard, and of course she even trusted Keith and told him that she was afraid of Richard. After hearing all of these stories about Richard and how, you know, his mood could change and how he could be quite threatening to, to Hella. Keith knew something was wrong. And all these different stories Richard was telling everyone was a major red flag for Keith. As a result, he kept the pressure on the police to keep their focus on Richard as a person of interest in Hella's disappearance, but without much success. It wasn't until after two weeks that Hella was officially considered to be a missing person. And just so you know, Richard never reported her missing. He never even requested information from the police. He never bothered them and pushed them to look into his wife's disappearance. It was her private investigator, Keith Mayo, who reported her missing on December 1st, 1986, after her worried friends had come to him. They all agreed something was very, very wrong here. One of the reasons police was initially dismissive of Hella's friends and Keith's concerns surrounding Hella is that Richard Crafts was known to local law enforcement for his work as a volunteer police officer in Newton, and in 1986, Richard was working as a part-time police officer in the nearby town of Brookfield. According to Keith, Newton police initially dismissed his concerns, saying that Hella would probably return. And as we know, police usually cover for their fellow police officer buddies. I'm sure they thought Richard was just such a stand-up guy, serving his community, being a good husband and an even better father. But as the investigation would show, this couldn't be farther from the truth. Now, thankfully, Keith was a persistent man and was convinced that Richard was involved in Hella's disappearance and that he had done something bad to Hella. After he was unsuccessful in convincing local police to investigate Richard for his wife's disappearance, let alone her murder, he took his findings to the county prosecutor. Thankfully, Keith had a compelling story and the prosecutor could not ignore all the red flags. So, he referred the case to the Connecticut State Police, and the investigation finally got to a serious start. One of the first people interviewed by investigators was the live-in nanny housekeeper named Dawn Marie Thomas. She recalled several strange events that occurred on the 19th and the days following. That is, the 19th of November, as you will remember, the last time that Hella was seen is on November 18th. So, strange events that occurred on the 19th of November and the days following. First, she recounted being awoken suddenly and rushed to Richard's sister on the early hours of November 19th. When Hella never arrived, she kept asking Richard where Hella was, and his response was a simple, I don't know. Days would go by and Dawn continued to ask Richard until he finally told her that she had gone back to Denmark. In addition to the strange and changing explanations of Hella's whereabouts, Dawn also noticed strange stains in the bedroom. Shortly after they appeared, they had been removed. 
large chunks of carpet were cut out without explanation. On December 26, 1986, while Richard was vacationing with his children in Florida, Connecticut State Troopers searched his home. Inside, they found pieces of carpet taken from the master bedroom floor, just as Dawn had told them. When questioned about this, Richard maintained that it was from kerosene. I also read that Richard said that he was just redecorating the master bedroom. There was, however, also a blood smear on the side of the bed mattress, and during a later search of the house, they also found further blood droplets in various locations. The forensic investigation was led by Henry Lee, who at the time was an investigator for the state police. He determined that the blood was consistent with Hella's blood type. So... Just so we're on the same page, back in 1986, the technology, the forensic analysis technology was not as advanced as it is today. So they were not able to do a specific DNA match, but they were able to tell that the blood that they found had the same blood type as Hella's blood. And I believe that that was O negative. Then, upon taking a closer look at Richard, his credit card records showed some unusual purchases around the time of Hell's disappearance. These included a freezer that was not found in the house, bedsheets, a comforter, and he had also rented a U-Haul truck as well as a 2,700-pound wood chipper. Later, they also found a receipt for a chainsaw. Not strange purchases at all. Then, a few days later, things really started to unravel for Richard. A local man by the name of Joseph Hine came forward with a key piece of evidence and a rather interesting witness sighting. Joseph drove a snowplow in the winter for the nearby town of Southbury, and this sighting happened during one of his snowplowing shifts. So, a day or two after Hella disappeared, at around 3 a.m., Joseph Hine was plowing the roads during a snowstorm when he noticed a rental Hugh Hall truck with a wood chipper attached, parked close to the shore of Lake Zor. He also saw a man, who looked a lot like our dear Richard Crafts, who motioned him to keep moving. I'm sure that he might have been worried that this snowplow would stop and get out of his truck to see if everything was okay, because why is there a Hugh Hall truck with a wood chipper parked by a lake during a heavy snowstorm at 3 a.m. But in any case, this man told Joseph, keep moving, it's fine. Now, when Joseph reached the end of the road and turned around, he passed the same spot. It was now around 5 a.m. The man and the wood chipper were nowhere to be seen, but he did see some fresh wood chips along the edge of the road. He thought the whole thing was very odd, especially because of the timing of it all. But after that, he just continued to shift and he didn't think much of it. And it wasn't until a few weeks later that he decided that, you know, this is definitely odd. Maybe I should go to the police. I think especially once the disappearance of hell started making some headway and it was mentioned in the news a couple times that an investigation was on the way. So in any case, he went to the police with this very interesting sighting and the police agreed with him. They were like, yeah, this is weird. And especially when we put one and two together, we see that Richard has, you know, he rented a Hugh Hall truck and the wood chipper. And here you saw a Hugh Hall truck with a wood chipper and a man that looks quite a lot like Richard. You know, let's let's go check out the area, maybe. So it was only after the police had searched Robert Kraft's house that Joseph the snowplower reported what he had seen. 
At this point, Hella had been MIA for over a month, and this whole scene with the wood chipper also happened over a month ago. But when Joseph led the police to the spot, there was plenty of evidence to be found. An extensive search was conducted around Lake Zor, and the police found many small pieces of metal and torn-up mail addressed to Hella. They also found bone chips, about 85 grams of human tissue, two human teeth, a fingernail with pink nail polish, over 2,500 strands of blonde human hair, and O-type blood, which matched Hella's blood type. The blonde hair was also the same color as Hella's, and one of the teeth found had a crown which belonged to Hella. Additionally, a chainsaw that contained traces of blonde human hair was found under water. Though the serial number marking on the chainsaw was scrubbed away, the investigators restored the number in the laboratory. The serial number on the tool was traced to the retailer, whose records confirmed that Richard Crafts had purchased the chainsaw. They might not have had a body, but they had enough physical as well as circumstantial evidence to put together a theory of what happened after Hella walked through the front door of her home for the last time on the night of November 18, 1986. Police believe that the following happened. And just so you know, I agree with this version of events. And after hearing it, I am also curious to hear what you think happened and if you agree with this version of events or not. So... Police believe that after Hella was dropped off by her work friends at her new town home, initially all was okay. Later that evening in the bedroom, Hella and Richard got into a fight because Hella had confronted Richard with the fact that she wanted a divorce or something in that area. It is also believed that Richard maybe found out about her plans and confronted her. In any case, things turned violent. Based on the evidence from the bedroom, Richard bludgeoned Hella to death in that bedroom. Afterwards, Richard placed his wife's body into the large freezer that he purchased days earlier, and after cutting up the bloodstained carpet, he rushed his children and live-in nanny Dawn out of the house and brought them to his sisters so he could have some privacy. Upon returning to the empty home, he took Hella's completely frozen body out of the freezer and dismembered it with the chainsaw. He then placed the dismembered remains back into the freezer and rented the wood chipper and the hue hall. The next night, under the cover of darkness and snow, with Hella's frozen remains in the back of the truck, he drove to Lake Zor. Apparently, Richard had told friends that he was disposing of limbs that had fallen on his property, but instead of tree limbs, they were human limbs once attached to his wife. After reaching his destination, he put Hella's remains through the wood chipper and made sure they ended up mostly in the lake. Now, the prosecution had to prove that a wood chipper was used to dispose of Hella's body, her remains. And of course, they did not have DNA to just confirm the tissue that they found and stuff was human or was Hella's at all. So to confirm a wood chipper was used, the renowned forensics investigator, Dr. Henry Lee, that I mentioned before, led a group of investigators through a test. So in order to prove that, you know, a wood chipper was used to dispose of human remains, they used a pig, pig's carcass. And the reason being that the pig's carcass, I guess the flesh and the skin, it's very similar to that of a human. So they put the pig's carcass through the wood chipper and then they examined the remains. And what came out of the wood chipper was almost an exact copy of the tissue and, and you know, whatever remains that they found near Lake Zor. 
so this led the police to further believe that Richard attempted to get rid of Hella using the wood chipper. Now, I'm not sure if they were able to find the wood chipper that Richard had used. I mean, I have to believe that they did. But in any case, I'm sure that he would have cleaned it. And also another thing to point out, or at least further reiterate, is that back in the day, back in the 80s, DNA testing was not as advanced as it is now. For example, they were able to determine that the blood found was the same blood type as Hella's, but with the technology that they had, they just were not able to get a DNA match. So technically speaking, if Richard had blood O-type, the same as Hella, then he could have said, hey, you know, this is my blood. You cannot prove that it's Hella's blood. He could have said, oh, I cut myself shaving. So, of course, if they would have been able to simply make a DNA match, they could have tested the human tissue found and determined whether or not it was actually Hella's or not. In any case, I believe that there was enough circumstantial evidence to, you know, lead to the conclusion that Richard murdered his wife and disposed of her this way. Now, good old Richard thought that he had committed the perfect crime. If there was no body, there was no case, right? No body, no crime? Wrong. No body, yes, crime. There was so much evidence, so much circumstantial evidence, and even some physical evidence that the prosecution decided to prosecute Richard Crafts for the murder of his wife, Hella, without a body. Richard Crafts' murder trial began in May 1988 in New London, where it was moved to due to extensive local publicity. The case went to the jury after 54 days. On July 15, 1988, the 17th day of jury deliberations, which honestly 17 days, wow, that is really long, almost three weeks. So after 17 days of jury deliberations, a single juror, the only juror in favor of acquittal, refused to continue with deliberations and the judge declared a mistrial. It is honestly so absurd to me that even with this mountain of evidence, this one juror did not think Richard was guilty. Or in the least, he was not convinced beyond a reasonable doubt of Richard's guilt. Seriously? Thankfully, a second trial in Norwalk ended in a guilty verdict on November 21, 1989, almost three years to the date that Hella was murdered. Richard was sentenced to serve 50 years in prison. It was the first murder conviction in the state of Connecticut without a body. I think it's incredible that the investigators were able to prove that, you know, even though we don't have a body, we do have a crime here. And before that time, as I also discussed in episode three of my podcast, before that time, a murder conviction without a body, it was almost not done because they did not have DNA evidence and... Oftentimes, they really relied on an actual body being present, first of all, to determine that a crime had actually been committed, but also to determine the cause of death. And, you know, without a body, oftentimes people just said, okay, they just left. They ran away or they just weren't happy. You know, they just, you know, prove otherwise. Prove to me that she's actually dead. And later on, I'm going to read a newspaper article from the time that the murder trial took place. A newspaper article from 1988 that covered this case. It gives you a better glimpse of how people looked at this case, especially there was no body involved and it was just something very unheard of at the time. But before I read to you that newspaper article, 
I would like to talk about our dear old Richard Crafts because you might be wondering how he is doing these days, or maybe not, but in any case, I will tell you, I will update you on Richard's situation. So if you were wondering how Richard is doing these days, I have some information for you. Richard Crafts maximum release date was listed by the State Department of Correction, the DOC, as August 1st, 2020. On January 30th, 2020, Richard, who is now about 83 years old, was released from prison and sent to live at a halfway house in Bridgeport. And it is a transitional housing program for veterans that he was placed in. And if we do some quick maths, we calculate that Richard served only 30 of the 50 years he was sentenced to. So how come? Well, Richard served a drastically shorter sentence for various reasons, mostly because of an old sentencing law known as statutory good time. The law, which has since been changed, allowed for large amounts of time to be taken off of prisoner's sentence as a reward for good behavior and jailhouse jobs. Correction officials have to apply the law that was in place at the time of sentencing. Had Richard Crafts been sentenced after the new, less generous sentencing laws, he would not have been eligible for any time off of his sentence and he would still be locked up today. Just to finish up, as I mentioned before, I want to read to you an article written about this case. This article was published by the New York Times on May 15, 1988, as the trial was about to enter its seventh week. The title of the article is Everything But a Body in Murder Trial. The first task of the prosecution is convincing the jury that a crime was committed, that Mrs. Crafts, a flight attendant, was in fact slain. The chief evidence, body fragments that prosecutors say are remains of the woman after her husband dismembered her body and fed parts into a wood chipper. The setting for the case, known throughout Connecticut as the Woodchipper Murder, is Newtown, a community of 20,000 people 60 miles west of here in northern Fairfield County. Subplots include confessions of adultery, a tenacious private investigator, arduous forensic detective work, and the contention by defense attorneys that Mrs. Crafts, whose body has never been found, may have fabricated her own death. It is bizarre, said Frank M. Williams, 59, a retired appliance distributor who drives 20 miles from Colchester each day to watch the trial. I've never heard of something like this before, putting someone through a wood chipper, but who knows if that's what really happened. While the grisly nature of the case has been the major attraction for the scores of spectators who have attended the trial, most say they are equally fascinated by the prosecution's challenge of having to prove not only that Mr. Crafts killed his wife, but also that Mrs. Crafts is indeed dead. Although murder convictions have been obtained elsewhere without finding a body, it has never occurred in Connecticut. Prosecutors, however, say they can prove Mrs. Crafts' death with what they believe are her only remains. A gold-capped tooth, a few strands of hair, and less than an ounce of bone fragments, the largest of which is only an inch and a half long. It is perhaps the most unusual criminal prosecution in Connecticut history, said the chief prosecutor, Walter D. Flanagan, the state's attorney from Danbury. The conventional homicide has a corpse, so the fact of death is usually not an issue. Meanwhile, the lawyer leading Mr. Kraft's defense, J. Daniel Sagarin of Milford, believes it will be almost impossible for the prosecution to conclusively identify the remains as those of Mrs. Kraft's. 
I don't know if she is dead, and I didn't kill her. That's really the crux of the defense, he said. It's a body heat scenario, he added, referring to the 1981 film that ends with a femme fatale taking her own death and framing her lover. It's a contrived disappearance. Mr. Crafts, who had passed three lie detector tests given by the authorities before his arrest, was arrested on January 14, 1987. He is one of the most aloof and coolest persons I've ever run into, Mr. Flanagan said. Early this year, the trial was moved from Danbury to this eastern Connecticut city because of pre-trial publicity in the northern Fairfield County region. Evidence in the trial also has been usually ghoulish, with jurors perusing photographs of bone fragments and witnesses examining skeletal remains in the courtroom. Perhaps the goriest detail has been the prosecution's move to be allowed to play a videotape in court that shows a dead pig being cut up by a wood chipper. The tape is intended to show the machine's destructive power. Thus far, though, the key piece of evidence has been a tooth with a gold crown that forensic experts testified belonged to Mrs. Crafts. We have three experts who will testify on this, Mr. Flanagan said, and she had x-rays taken less than a month before she disappeared. The defense is expected to argue that the tooth, like the bones and the hair that have been introduced as evidence in the trial, is not Mrs. Crafts, and one tooth is not enough evidence to prove that Mrs. Crafts is dead. Hella Crafts would like to make it appear that she is dead, said Mr. Sigarin. You may think that's hard to believe, but there are a lot of things here that are hard to believe. So that was the article. I thought it was very interesting to see just how strange it was for them to have this murder case that did not have a corpse, a body, and also, I guess just how gruesome it was, you know, that he used a wood chipper and, and everything. And the fact that this guy that they interviewed traveled 20 miles each day to just witness the trial in person. It was definitely very controversial for the time. And I think that investigators did a good job in finding all of this evidence and putting the pieces together. And in my opinion, it just points to one one thing, the fact that Richard did murder his wife. The fact that Richard passed three lie detector tests means nothing to me. I mean, there is a reason that these things are inadmissible in court. And he also, you know, he came home to his wife for years and lied to her face, pretending everything was fine, while he was also hiding his many affairs with lots of women also for years. I think that he is just a cold-blooded liar, and he is manipulative, and yeah, he's a cold-blooded liar, and he murdered his wife. A cold-blooded liar and murderer he is. Thinking about how Hella had decided to break free from this manipulative, nasty man and how he ended her life before it could actually begin is heartbreaking. She was ready to move on with her life and discover who she was outside of this marriage as a single parent not having to worry about her cheating husband. Hella was so young and she should have been around to watch her three children grow up and they should have had their mother by their side. But Richard made sure that that did not happen. Richard is now out of prison, but at 83 years of age and after 30 years locked up, I am not sure how much of a life he has left. In any case, it's more than Hella, which seems unfair. So this was the murder of Hella Crafts. I always find cases without a body, but with a conviction extremely interesting. 
Here we have an added element of gruesomeness, as Richard was so meticulous. He froze his wife's body, dismembered it with a chainsaw, and then put it through a wood chipper. A whole wood chipper. My goodness, you know, he went through a lot of effort and he really believed that he committed the perfect crime. As always, please do share your thoughts with me. You can find me on Instagram at True Crime Consultant. Also, please share my podcast with your friends and families. I would really appreciate it. And of course, I would also very much appreciate if you left me a good five-star review on Spotify or Apple or wherever you listen to my podcast. Thanks again for being here. I loved having you. Stay safe, stay in school, call your mom, and don't forget to do a mental health check on yourself and on your friends. I want to give a special shout out this week to my friend Ivane. He listened to me when I said do a mental health check on your friends and he checked up on me. So I really appreciate that and I hope that my message is coming across to other listeners as well. So see you next time. Ciao, take care and uh, let's keep in touch. Hi, my name is Isla Watson, and I am your true crime consultant, ready to talk to you about true crime.